Hello, and welcome to Ramblings of Self-Discovery. Um, I've been away for a little bit. Uh, sometimes it's challenging to figure out what I'm going to share and what is relatable. But, uh, so <laughs> anyway, I'm back, and this is a unedited um one take kind of podcast with no bells or whistles, no music, no intro, no outro. I'm not interviewing anybody. It's just me <laughs> rambling about things I've thought about or pondered. Um there's so much uh and I guess one of the most Okay, so in the last um, 12 years or so since I have been separated and divorced, um, I interestingly have been able to um, connect and make friends with people that obviously I would never have either been ex- exposed to or been allowed to um, connect with. And I use the term allowed because anyone who's married or has been in a relationship knows that there are uh, unspoken rules about who you're allowed to talk to and who you're not allowed to talk to. Expectations about what friends are allowed and what friends are not allowed. Um, so given that, uh, I've just obviously been able to be free to sort of float through the planet and bump into people um, sometimes at random or most times at random and, you know, get to know people without any kind of limitation as far as someone else in my life uh, having expectations on my time or my connectivity. Uh, So interestingly, given that also is, is that I've been able to connect with more men as friends than I would otherwise have connected with. Um, And I can say that the overwhelming theme when I speak to men in relationships, um, maybe maybe it's more middle-aged men, um, but no, no, let me backtrack on that. It's not. I've heard actually men in their 30s and men in their 50s um, say the same things, which is puzzling because as I try to um, construct some kind of meaning or um, etymology to uh, some questions or some happenings, um, age generally plays a fact, generally plays a factor or a role, but, uh, okay, so let's just (laughs) jump to it. I'm meandering a bit too much. So the, the biggest, uh, the, the biggest question I'm thinking about today is why do middle-aged women who are in relationships and or married, but again, there are exceptions, not all women are middle-aged, but why are they sick of why is sex a chore? Why is and uh, why is it 
not approached in general with more excitement. Um, I, I will include myself in this batch when I was married. Um, and if you've heard my podcast, you've heard of other factors with respect to physical intimacy, but still the theme was the same. And to many women that I've spoken to, not all, um, but many, they're just tired of having sex with their husbands. But is it that they're tired of having sex in general or tired of their husbands? So this is the question I find myself contemplating. Um, And the advantage that I've had to um, augment my perspective is that I've had 12 years of being single. So how that has affected my thoughts on physical intimacy and um, sexual expression and how glaringly different it is to when I was married. So um, it was, you know, I kind of a chore. I probably have said that before, and that's not really... Well, I mean, it may or may not be any fault or of my husband's. I mean, I, I would be unfair to myself to say he had nothing to do with it, but it would also be unfair to say it was all his fault or whatever. So I think there's a lot of truth to the to the phrase that it takes two to tango and um or not tango <laughs> as the case may be so it's puzzling is it that women are sick of their husbands and if they are why what are the husbands doing or not doing that makes women sick of them what are wives doing or not doing that makes um, maybe makes their husbands do or not do what they should be doing. It's like this kind of chicken and egg thing, perhaps. It's very, um, you know, ping-pongy. One behavior elicits another behavior from the other person, and so where does it all start and where does it all end? Um, but I have spoken to lots of people in my bubble of life and yeah there are married women who just really couldn't be bothered obviously they do bother a lot of them um just as a chore or as an obligation or perhaps as an understanding that it's meeting the needs of their partner um and then there are those who don't bother anymore um And then we have to think about the husbands or male partners, or I know we're speaking about heterosexuality, but that's what I know, so that's what I'm talking about. But I'm sure this can extrapolate into other kinds of relationships, although I'm not really going to delve into those. Um, I can only ask myself, what is it that makes people get bored of each other and stop trying in, in a relationship. And I think expectation has a lot to do with it. I think people get into a committed relationship um, and then there is a um, 
insidious kind of laziness that slowly creeps in and people stop trying to impress and please the other person. Um, And I think that's probably, and I think that goes both ways, and I think that's a huge problem. We just expect that the other person is stuck with us, and so why bother putting in much effort? Um, Pleasing each other becomes less important, maybe, and I don't think that's a good thing. If we were to compare this to the single world, where single people don't have anybody committed to them. And so everything they do behaviorally when they interact with someone in a in a romantic way, it, it has to be full on. It has to be effort. There has to be interest. There has to be um, a will to please the other person. Because underneath that... Um, Driving behavior is the understanding that the other person owes us nothing. Uh, they could take off at the drop of a hat if they're displeased or disinterested. And of course, married people or long-term commitment people are generally not so quick to jump out of a relationship. And they have monetary reasons and family reasons, all kinds of reasons that ball and chain them to this other person unwillingly at some point. And so that obligation, that sense of feeling obliged to this other person probably robs the whole um, desire to make an effort to please the other person. So then this seems to say that there is intrinsically an issue with marriage. Um, Just thinking about that statement, actually. Uh, I think marriage, so I'm not a marriage hater. I think marriage is a great place for people to be committed and provides a safe kind of promise environment to raise children in. Um. And whether people have children or not, it can also then provide a sense of commitment that they're not leaving at the drop of a hat if things get a little rocky. So I think that part of it's good. um, But I think expectation is a villain and obligation is a villain. And... How do we escape those? Because, you know, you can't, you really can't to some degree. You tie your money up with somebody else. You share a house and you share responsibilities. And the expectation is the other person does their part. And somehow people kind of take advantage of the other person's commitment, perhaps. Which is really just... A, a fancy way of describing entrapment. Um, I kind of think, and this may be, uh, maybe this thought is rose-colored glasses-esque, but I think people should wake up every day and decide to stay with the person they're with, 
rather like choose it rather than wake up and think, you know, I'm still stuck here or I can't go or um, I have no option but to choose this other person. So then is it really a choice? I don't know. I think it's safe to say that everybody wants to be chosen or picked and nobody really wants someone sticking around out of a sense of duty. Um, that is the most, I mean, for myself anyway, I, I don't even want friends to stick around out of a sense of duty. If somebody is in my vicinity, in my life, out of a sense of duty, um, I'm not sure how interested I am in that. I mean, that's not to say that we don't have duty. I'm thinking of children, for example, my my sense of duty to my kids or their sense of duty to me. So there is an element of duty that is reasonable. My kids should carry with them a sense of um, duty when it comes to my well-being to some degree, not completely. Uh, I think that it's a team effort. So if I, if I, for example, decided to just stop looking after myself and stop taking my own um, responsibility within, with respect to my own life, I'm not sure I can expect my children to take, to pick up the slack and to take all of that um, onto themselves. I think if I'm helping myself, it makes my kids more willing to help me when I need it. Uh, and so with that same line of thinking, I think it, it applies to marriages and partnerships. Um, and I'm sure there are exceptions, although I think that in society we tend to hide behind exceptions and make that a bigger reason not to do things than it should be. Exceptions are, by definition, an unlikely, unlikely scenario. So we can't be relying on exceptions as a, as a main predictor of our own self-expectations. Um, yeah. Thinking still. <laughs> I'm still here. Um, if we circle back to the, the burning question at the beginning, which was, the old generic scenario or broad scenario of men complaining they don't get enough sex out of their wives and women complaining, you know, oh yeah, it's it's time, he's getting cranky, I better, I better put out kind of thing. There has to be a way out of that. Uh, I think that husbands can be critical and controlling, um, Bossy is the simple way of putting it. Um, and that's not very motivating when it comes to intimacy, physical intimacy or emotional intimacy. And those are inextricably tied. Uh, people can argue that they can separate physical and emotional, but I don't really think they can. I think they can just ignore the link better than others. The link is there whether we acknowledge it or not. Emotional and physical intimacy are inextricably linked and are inseparable. I mean, I think the only way they're not is if people are psychotic or whatever. 
I'm no DSM expert, but for most of us who are not super nuts and diagnosably crazy, uh, dangerously crazy, I guess is what I'm driving at. Um, most of us have a conscience. Most of us have emotions and they are linked to our behavior and expression. So, I mean, (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, if, if you're a wife and you're listening to this and you're saying, yeah, I pretty much am bored or don't want to have sex with my husband, I do it out of expectation or obligation. I mean, the burning question is why, what, what makes that kind of woman so disinterested in their husband? If we dig down and try to unpack and get to the, like the deconstruction of where that sentiment comes from, where does it come from? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I don't have the answers for that. <laughs> I'm only here wondering and are they just bored is i mean boredom must factor in i've definitely heard that word uh there's they're bored of the same thing the same approach perhaps the same emotional parameters maybe the husband needs to be doing different things or better things or more um edifying things for his wife or partner. And then, of course, we have to flip the question and say, if the husband isn't doing the things that he probably should or could be doing, why isn't he? And maybe he's feeding off of some feedback loop from his wife or spouse or partner. And what is she doing or not doing that makes him not do or do? Um... I mean, I think men need to stop being so critical and controlling because that's just irritating. If you're a man out there and you love being in control, I mean, that's a huge red flag for sex in the bedroom with your partner. You know, if you have this, if, if and this could be men or women, I suppose, but if people have a, a picture in their head of what sex is supposed to look like to them, and the other person doesn't step in line with all of those expectations, I mean, the whole thing is doomed right from the beginning. Again, we run into this expectation thing as being the culprit and obligation. Uh, A lot of women will say, you know, their husband might, you know, rub their feet or do something really nice, or maybe he does something extra around the house that, you know, he knows his wife would appreciate. And then perhaps her mindset is, oh, great, he's just doing this to soften me up for sex. So then it feels obligatory. And then you have the men saying, well, if I'm not going to get intimacy, what's the point? Why bother? Why bother trying? So it becomes this kind of selfish feedback loop, it seems, where if there's nothing in it for them, either male or female, 
or either partner, then why bother? So then I'm asking myself, where's the love in that? I don't really see any love in that. So love can't be selfish or self-serving because then is that, that's self-love and that's not loving others. That's just loving yourself. Uh, I mean, how does, where is the escape out of this terrible feedback loop that just seems to extinguish desire between people who have been together for many years? I think they get into ruts, get doing the same thing. Again, stop trying, stop trying new things or like it really is a team effort i think is what i'm excuse me arriving at um two people need to want a healthy sexual relationship with each other healthy both physically healthy emotionally and if they both want it i believe it's achievable uh, but people get so buried into the narrative I hate to use that word because it seems like such a punch word, but they get so caught up in the story of what they're used to, same old this, same old that, and it defines their future. And future, by definition, is undefinable because it hasn't happened yet. Nothing is guaranteed. And yet people will confine themselves to a future that is presumably set, guaranteed, definable. And of course, the future is just a hope. It is a thought, a mere wish or a dream of what can happen tomorrow. <laughs> because you can make all the plans you want and something can knock those plans right off the docket. So we take the future for granted, means, and we take others for granted in that future. And we expect people to keep doing the same things, maintaining the same boring story. So nothing has to change. But then desperately wanting change at the same time and being unwilling to make any changes. There is a huge issue with wanting to keep everything the same and also wanting things to change. Those two things can't coexist. And yet we have people in marriages who say, both men and women, who wish their partner would change, but they don't want anything to change in their life. And I'm not speaking about any one in specific. I'm just saying in general, because I actually have heard this theme and I have felt this theme when I was married. And I, I hear, hear it still among multiple sources who are married or in a relationship. Um, and now, and I'm, I'm only actually just seeing the dis- disparity now of people wanting something to change, but people desperately forcing everything to stay the same or wanting it all to stay the same. Uh, I don't think I could condemn myself to a life of sameness. I mean, that's my my biggest probably worry in life is that life just continues on, the same old 
boring path that's predictable every day blending into the next with no um with nothing really to spike any kind of change or shift or I mean, where's the growth in the mundane? There isn't any. I don't think there's any growth in in the same thing year after year after year. I, I think that's easy. Uh, and actually, and sometimes I think it's actually hard to have the same thing day in and day out. An example of, you know, a necessity of the same thing day in and day out in general would be, you know, you're raising kids or whatever, and you're trying to maintain a consistent environment. And I've got three children and certainly having young children made my life very predictable and consistent. Um, I would say a, a part of me died just because I tend to love ad- adventure and change and experiences that are not predictable. Uh, and so I think being a young mother, it, it definitely forced a lot of excitement into a dormant stage for a while. And, and that's not a blame thing. I love my kids. And if they ever listen to this, which they may or may not, but, you know, the, the, the takeaway is not that I hated being a mother and raising kids because it was boring because, you know, other things are exciting. Um, but if we take kids out of the equation, because that's very transient you're a mother or a father briefly then your kids presumably grow up and move out of your basement as they should and become their own adults and start their own life and so being a parent is not a fixed way of being um it's you know you can't stay there uh, i'm <laughs> here to say uh, i certainly couldn't stay there simply because even if i wanted to life pushes you out of that stage so all of my kids have grown up. They're all self-sufficient. They all pay their own bills. They all, they don't rely on me for anything. Um, I'm just more of a figurehead at this point with no real role other than consultation from time to time. And I'm always honored to be consulted <clears throat> about anything, really. Uh, that's that's an honorable thing to have your adult kids come to you for thoughts and advice. Um, but yeah, child rearing temporary so then what and <laughs> then you child rearing is over child rearing is over and you're stuck with yourself or you're stuck with yourself and your partner and and then what so does you know and I can recognize that there are people out there who once their kids grow up and move out um they attack life with a sense of newness and they reignite their own intimacy flame with each other. They actually are willing to invest into that relationship. Um, I don't currently know of any people, do I? I'm not sure I do. They must be out there. They must be out there, people who are still married and glad to be married or or even liking their spouse. Less, uh, more than just obligatory love. And a uh, status quo love, but excitement love. Um, I don't know where it is. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, but to me, that is really how two people who keep choosing each other every day, post child rearing, that's really where I think that should sit. Um, 
wake up in the morning and be glad you're there. Be glad your spouse is there. Ask yourself, you know, what can I do to make this day exciting with my partner? And yeah, not every day can be exciting, but certainly not every day needs to be completely mundane and uninvested. And I thought to myself not long ago, what is the point of choosing somebody or choosing anything really if we're not going to invest in that choice? I mean, you might as well live in a dictatorship. If you're not going to take advantage of the freedom to choose and the freedom to invest in that choice, then what is the point? You might have might as well be in some kind of arranged relationship where choice is irrelevant. Um, and I can speak to myself in that. You know, I would have probably stayed married. It was safe. It was what I knew. Um, it was secure. And although I wasn't very fulfilled and probably, and I know my husband wasn't either, uh, I think I definitely would have stayed because, I mean, leaving is too scary because uh, it's unknown. How much do we fear the unknown? I mean, come on, people. <laughs> Humans are both afraid of the unknown and drawn to excitement. And I think excitement, in order to be exciting, has to be unpredictable and unknown. Or new. And anything new is certainly not predictable. Again, another dichotomy uh, exists. You know, I think life is an eternal revol- uh, revolution. No, that's the wrong word revolving door of dichotomies that's that's what I'm trying to say but I think that emotional contentedness comes from reconciling these dichotomies and these you know items that can't coexist if we can do some reconciling some soul searching then it makes more sense and makes life a little easier. <clears throat> I think humans, by definition, make life really hard for themselves. And I think that might be the, the human condition is to just find life challenging and to be unhappy, to make others around us unhappy. But I think it takes a conscientious effort to choose to make life happy for those around us. What can we do that's positive? <laughs> I mean, I've done my share of uh, <laughs> being a Debbie Downer. Um, not proud of those moments. Sometimes I feel consumed by my own self-analysis and wondering what is the point to everything and I can get on this tangent of Debbie Downery behavior. Uh and it's probably exhausting to be around. And when I'm like that, I'm shocked anyone wants to be anywhere near me. So I try to keep that to a minimum because only people can only handle that, so much of that. So I think a lot of this has to happen then inside ourselves. We do this analysis internally. What do I want? What do I want out of my partner? What do I wish would happen? And we can answer these questions and then we say, well, if this is my wish 
if this is what I really want my partner to do to make me happy, what am I doing to enable them to do what I want them to do? Because obviously what I do is going to influence what they do. So if I say I want my husband to be more attentive and more affectionate and I want him to rub my feet just because he wants to rub my feet, not because he wants sex afterwards, uh, what sorts of things do I have to do to make him uh, motivated to rub my feet? Let's, I mean, if we take it down to something as practical as a foot rub, which frankly I love foot rubs, um, shoulder rubs, <laughs> I, I love those types of things, and not obligatorily so. They just need to be free, a gift, uh, out of a motivation of my partner wanting me to feel good and be pleased. But if I want those things, and if those are some of the things, the benchmarks that I'm basing my wishes on, I must be then forced to answer the question, what am I doing to make that outcome more probable? What kind of behaviors do I need to exhibit to elicit foot rubs out of my partner? (laughs) I don't actually have the answer to that, but that's probably a conversation if I had a partner and I don't. But it's probably a conversation that can happen. Um, I think people can over-talk things too, and talking has its limits, and then actions are more suitable in some circumstances. I mean, if you talk things to death, probably someone's going to want to beat you over the head with something. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the nearest object is a pillow, but... There's always too much of a good thing, not enough of a good thing, some kind of balance, a little bit of talking and understanding, and then just shut up and do something already. And then there's the people who never talk and then just commiserate about how they don't get what they want or don't get what they need, but there's no conversations of openness and honesty I mean, in general, if we were to say the most ideal situation in life, um, if we were to talk about that, we would say, I would say, it is being honest and genuine. And integrity is a big part of that. So if I'm not honest with somebody, how on earth are they supposed to be honest with me? How are they supposed to understand me as a person? I mean, without honesty, there's no understanding. (laughs) First, honesty has to happen with myself, and then honesty has to occur with others. And only after those two things can there be any kind of understanding on which I can base some hopes and some wishes about future behavior that I might find fulfilling. So there's actually quite a bit of obligation on myself before I can even start placing obligations on the people around me in, I guess, primarily relationships, but this is also applicable to friendships as well, Um, non-romantic type friendships. Uh, 
But of course, most of us in life are driven to the romantic relationships, wanting to feel that kind of a love and that kind of an acceptance and that and to be allowed to express that kind of love and acceptance. And those of us who don't have somebody, um, a romantic partner, uh, end up without that, you know, arena. There's no outlet for that. And I think it's quite stifling sometimes. I certainly find it difficult at times, although that's not to say that I'm walking around desperate to jump into a relationship because frankly, I'm not convinced there is one where someone is not trying to control me or place unfair expectations on me based on their own um, concepts of how I should be or not be. Uh, Maybe that makes me sound bitter, I don't know, but it's just a truth. A truth about how I feel and a truth about my fears about being in a relationship. And maybe that's why I'm still single after 12 years. It could also be <laughs> I'm still single because I uh, I like the freedom. That is for sure. So it's a complex question, but I, I really have done a lot of contemplating about, you know, the major complaint of middle-aged wives being sick of their husbands. They don't like sex and men just complain about it and you know, you've got the stereotype. And all I can say is I don't buy it that the argument that women get tired of sex and it's just a way of our biology, that that doesn't make any sense. I don't buy that. Anyone who says that all women are eventually going to tire of sex because that's just how women are, um, I think that's a cop-out. That's a cop-out belief. It's a great way to remove responsibility from women. And women, we are responsible. Take responsibility for your own lack of sexual interest and try to understand it. That's a scary thing because then what does that mean? What does that say about our marriage or a relationship? What does that say about, gosh, I mean, I'm stuck asking myself what it meant when I was married. Um, I, I was responsible for a lot of that, for sure. Uh, and, of course, the other question is, Men can sit around and complain about their wives not liking sex, but um, part of that's their fault. Things don't happen in a vacuum, so men need to sit down and ask themselves, why? Why does my wife not want to be intimate with me? What have I done? What have I not done? And women need to ask themselves the question, you know, where is my sex drive gone? Why? Like, what's the problem with that? Because biologically... And I have spoken to a lot of single middle-aged women, and they have really healthy sex drives. <laughs> the only so it's not biological. So the only difference is is they don't have a spouse or they don't have a long-time spouse. They're not still with the same person after 30 years. So it just tells me that it has nothing to do with the physiological sex drive of a woman and has a lot more to do with the dynamics of the relationship they're in. Baggage, sure. I mean, single middle-aged women who like sex, they don't have baggage with whoever they're with. There's no long-term baggage. Uh, And I don't believe that people who stay married for 30 or 40 and 50 years are doomed to a sexless life or a boring sex life. Uh, I just think 
they have to be proactive and they have to be both on the same wavelength of keeping sex a priority as a means of connection and intimacy, as part of connection and intimacy. And yeah, it's probably easy for me to sit here and say that. But I also think I have a perspective that decades and decades long married people then lack. I know what it's like out here. I know what it's like to experience sex without decades of baggage. And I also know what it's like to experience sex with decades of baggage. And I know where my sex drive lay in both of those scenarios. It is not a foregone conclusion that all middle-aged women will get tired of sex. So that's not a truth that we can state. And then when that's not true, we're only stuck with analysis. So that's the food for thought for today. Um, I'm going to leave you all with that. (laughs) Really, the responsibility for the complaining husbands and the complaining wives is on each of them dig into themselves. I've been forced to do this digging because I've had 12 years to think about it being single. Um, Lots of middle-aged women love sex. Presumably middle-aged men love sex as long as they have functionality. I'm sure they love it even if they don't. They might just be annoyed that maybe they have function problems with their man parts. And that's a whole other issue. I'm not a man, so I can't really address it, but uh, why waste functionality if you have it? And uh, certainly a man's behavior has a lot to do with how his wife or partner will respond to him, and a woman's behavior will do the same thing. So until next time, (laughs) happy contemplating. Or maybe no one's going to contemplate it. You just listened to it all and thought I'm full of crap. (laughs) That's okay, too. Bye.